A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another Irish Examiner Sports Podcast on the programme this week, Derby Day. Claire and Limerick prepare for battle in Sunday's All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship semi-final. We're back, Miguel Delaney on the new Premier League season and from Russia with love, we look back on Rob Heffernan's incredible gold at the World Athletic Championships in Moscow. <whistles> now uh, the entire country... Still on a high after last weekend's sensational All-Ireland Senior Hurling semi-final between Cork and Dublin and we're hoping for more of the same in Crow Park this weekend with uh, Limerick and Clare going uh, head-to-head. Donal O'Grady joins me now on the line. Uh, Donal, an incredible turnaround for Munster Hurling when you consider uh, three Munster counties in the last four in the All-Ireland Championship. Could you have foreseen all of this at the start of the year? Well, I, I, I didn't foresee it to be honest anywhere, Colin, because um I, I I felt that, you know, that Kilkenny might scrape another year. I didn't think there was anything else in them, right? I didn't see them winning in two thousand fourteen. But I felt they might just get there. No, whether they spent too much energy in the league or not, or maybe the injuries caught up with them or maybe just the enthusiasm or that the, the pack closed like the the Peloton does and the and, and breakaway riders in the in the Tour de France, but whatever it was, I I thought that Kenny might scrape through. I certainly didn't see, you know, three months of counties getting by. You were you were expecting Galbraith to build on what they had last year. I know there's a tendency for Galbraith to have a good year and then to flop the following year once they made in all the final, but I was expecting Galbraith to be around. I was expecting Kenny to be around, and Munster really was, you know, there was five teams in Munster. You were probably looking at maybe Tipperary, Cork, Limerick, Clare. Um, I didn't think Waterford because of the lack of firepower. That you know, but I didn't think there was anything much between those those four. But I certainly didn't see you know three Munster counties. Um, and, and to definitely make the Ireland final. Okay, well, uh, the hurling itself is one thing. Another issue, though, that has been making the headlines for the last couple of weeks has been controversial refereeing decisions. We saw it again last weekend with uh, Ryan O'Dwyer in Crow Park. You're taking it all, Donald, from a former player's perspective and equally from a, f- a former manager's perspective. You know, is it a case that. <sighs> I don't know, the, the, the referees are under a certain instruction. We now have the benefit of HD television replays and slow motions. Was a lot of this stuff happening and, and maybe we, the audience, are only seeing it now? Where, where do you stand in it all? Well, I mean, for, for, from from the tackle point of view, you none of the tackles we say that Ryan of the War made were, would have been considered like overly dangerous, I think. But the, the, the fact of the matter was that 
um, for the last three or four years now, um, any shoulders into the chest like is automatically looked upon as, as, as a yellow card. If it's any higher, if you hit a person in the head, in the chin, or in the in, in, in the jaw, whatever, it is a straight red card. And that, that, that came in, I suppose, four or five years ago. Now, I remember being down at a, a, um, a championship match between Wexford and and um, and Galway, I think down in the in Northern Park, and I think you know there was a couple of players sent off for head high tackles with the shoulder. So really, unless the shoulders bang on side to side, you know you're you're courting disaster if you're going in, and it has been outlawed really. Uh, you know unless you're running, two players are running directly for the ball, and one can shoulder somebody side to side. But mm. I'd have a certain sympathy for for Ryan the wire and for the Dublin supporters really because that's the way he plays. He's a physical player. He's He's an old-style centre-forward, really. He's not exactly a scoring forward, but he's an old-style forward. But there's no doubt about it. He hit Luca Farrell straight into the chest, and he hit uh, Lucas McLaughlin straight into the chest. So once James Owen had given the first yellow card, he was obliged to give him the second one. OK, but from your perspective now, how would you feel if you were a full-back playing your trade in inter-county hurling in these days with referees being as trigger-happy, as card-happy as they are today? Well, well, well so basically, uh, Colm, what needs to be the, the player in question has to modify his 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 his, his playing style. You can't, you know, sort of, you can't go out and play maybe as you went to play ten years ago. You try a shoulder, it doesn't come off. You hit a chap in the, you know, straight in the chest, it, it was a straight free. Nowadays, that's being ruled out of the game. So you have to modify the, the way you play. Um, I think, in fairness to Ryan Edward, the second tackle the last, I think he was kind of, he, you know, that's his nature, I suppose, and he kind of half, half of he kind of pulled out of it. Yeah, maybe he felt, oh my God, I'm going over the, over the bounds here, but that's the way it is. So you have to modify the way you're playing now because referees are probably mm. instructed. They, they have committees and they, they're instructed how to referee the games, what to leave go, what not to leave go. But that definitely, they took a decision four years ago to outlaw the the, the frontal shoulder charge. It's a bit like rugby, where they've outlawed you know the tackle without your your wrapping your arms around them. If you go in, if you leave with your shoulder, it's a straight yellow card in rugby, and it's much the same now in hurling. If you lead or football for that matter, if you lead straight mm. in with your shoulder straight into the chest. But are, are you fearful, as Jim O'Sullivan said in the uh, Examiner on Tuesday, that the physicality, the manliness, has been taken out of the game? what you mean by manliness or physicality that is always a, you know an issue when because before I think the, the what, what got the crowds going was good tackles and whatever else and as long as they weren't dangerous I think and, and I don't think any of the tackles that were there last Sunday were, were, were dangerous I, 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 I would have had a certain um, how would I say I was a certain opposition to you know outlawing the shoulder and whatever because I thought it was a feature of the game and you know if you're a centimetre out now you shoulder someone in the back or in the chest as I said you, you can pick up a yellow card I think the danger is that or the difficulty is that yellow cards are being handed out a bit too easy I mean if you look at the minor game last Sunday I mean there was um, two players sent off for two yellow cards and each of them to me were, were, were fairly um, innocuous but the, the second yellows were innocuous it was just a piece of a tangle of legs there was nothing malicious in it it was something that can happen very hard to pull out of those tackles and uh, you know I'd be, I'd be all for um, you know somebody hit somebody late down the hand somebody hit somebody late in, in the head somebody hit somebody late across the knee or whatever else uh, late tackles with the hurley can do a bit of damage but I, I, I think that you know it might be no harm for the for the referees association to come out and maybe make statements as to why these uh, yellow cards have been given I think people would understand it then but you know referees aren't allowed to talk to the press or mm. talk afterwards or give 
their opinions. But I think maybe the head of the referee should come out and say, we gave yellow cards because of X, Y, and Z. And I think it would inform the public a bit more. OK, well, let's talk about the uh, match this weekend. As we said, the, the clash of uh, neighbours, uh, Limerick and uh, Clare. Hard to believe, Donald, a couple of short months ago we were talking about uh, Limerick and their continued fight to try and emerge from the second tier of the National League and it was almost like the end of the world again for Limerick with that failure to step up to Division 1A but they haven't done too badly out of it. Do you think it was almost a case of they had that chip on their shoulder and that was another motivating factor for them? Well, I, I, I wouldn't think so because I mean, the thing is that you, you get a chip on your shoulder you know, from something that we'd say, has been done to you or some injustice has been done to you. That, that chip was there two or three years ago when, when you know, when it, by administration they were put into Division 2, having won Division 1, and, and, you know, rightfully they should have gone up. Now, who's to say they would have stayed there? But my, my thing was that, when, you know, Limerick had got two chances in the league to get out of the league, Division 2. They were beaten in two of the finals, so, you know, you take your chances there and they failed to get out. But I think that it was just a case that things fell nicely further and they were in the semi-final Monster Championship the down in the Gaelic grounds, uh, Tipper hot favourites, and, and and Limerick are a good side. Let's be honest, and you know they they took on Tipperary that time and they they beat them. Then the momentum was with them and they won the Munster final. So, and I've said it all along that I don't think there's a huge difference between some of the teams in Division One B and Division One A. You know, on a, on any given day, and I think that's the way it's working out for them. But you know, they're, they're one game away from being an All Ireland final. And um, you know, to be to be ironic that the two uh, All Ireland finalists would be, you know, trying their trade in Division One B next year, yeah. but it might suit them. The pressure might, might have been off them. You know, the people in Division One One A this year they had to win every game or you know to try and survive. So that might have suited them. They didn't have to expound as much energy in the start of the year, and they can put all their eggs in the championship basket, so to speak. So, what's the difference between Limerick of twelve months ago and, and the Limerick of of this August? Well, it's 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 hard to say. I suppose they they they're another year of development behind them, and I think that's always important. You know, when you're trying to get things done, you know, time it's very it's very hard to change cultures and get things done within within one season. So you know, this is the second season now that John Allen has been on there. So to the case of you know you you make improvements every year. It's a bit it's it's a help as well. Some of the players. You know, they they came on very young a few years ago. Now they're getting a little bit more mature, and um, you know they're they're building. Uh, you know, we say that they they know what their best defence is, they know what their best uh, midfield is, they know what their best forward line is, and then they have a strong bench as well. So you know, it takes a bit of time to bed these things in, and um, you know, over the championship matches, I think they're 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 getting that right. So whether they've got it right enough, we'll see on Sunday. As a manager, Donald, is it hard? You know, the template that Limerick are working of. Starting obviously with fifteen players, but then at fifty minutes bringing on a raft of subs. Is it hard for those five fellas that are sitting on the bench that know that they will be brought on for the last twenty minutes for them to buy into that? I, I think so, Colm. I think the worst thing that you can have as a substitute sitting on the bench is a feeling that you're never going to get on because every sub sitting on the bench is hoping he'll get a game. So if if you're almost guaranteed that you're going to be on at 50 minutes or 55 minutes, you feel you have a massive contribution to make because, you know, you're brought on. It's a, it's, it's a bit like, I suppose, you know, at baseball, the relief pitcher that comes in and pitches the last two or three innings, you know, he, does, he doesn't get the credit of the win, but he's, you know, his mm. team knows what he has done for them. So I think Limerick have have this template now where they go on 50 minutes or 45 minutes even. You know, Shane Dowling comes in and then, um, you know, we say um, Niall Morton or Kevin Downs or whoever they have right to bring on, that they bring them on then as a, as a way of sort of um, 
shoring up the last 50 minutes and they're bringing in people who can get scores and, and up to now against Tipperary and against Cork, you know, they got vital scores in, in that last five minutes uh, period, which is a, in a very important stretch in any game. So they seem to have that now. Is that That's what they're going to do. So players who know I'm coming off after 45, 50 minutes, they can give that extra little bit. They can be spent at 55 rather than trying to pace themselves to the 70. So, you know, when you have, there's very little between the players who are coming on and the players who are coming off. So when you have that talent behind you on the bench, well, you know, you, you, you're you're fairly certain mm. that you can sustain your challenge right for the 70-75 minutes. Let, let's talk a bit uh, very quickly about uh, Clare. Of course, uh, Davy has an impressive uh, management uh, CV with his work with uh, LIT and of course down with Watford as well. But one thing that's really struck me about Clare in, in, in the last year, uh, Donal, has been the skill factor and I suppose there was there was an argument back in the late 90s that they never built on the 95-97 wins but with the under-21s in the last couple of years and now this team, uh, still quite a young team, it seems to be the stars aligning with Davy as manager and this young talent all coming through. Well, the teams in Crow Park in the last few years, they've had under-21 teams, we'd say in the last three or four years, you know, they they, they, they have won championships and their under-21 team, you know, look nearly odds on to win the, the, the All-Ireland again this year. So they've married in, I suppose, in fairness to David Sherrill, he has married in the, the, the youngsters with, you know, with the likes of Brendan Bugler and, and, and Pat Donnellan and, 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 the, and the older crew and, the, and they're playing a particular style. And it mustn't be forgotten that a lot of their team are still, as I said, there's five players maybe right under-21s that are starters. And, you know, I, see, I think he has done a very, very good job. He did a great job to keep them in Division 1A. Um, they won the Division 1B the year before. He kept them in Division 1A. And they're playing a nice band. They're holding that suits themselves. And that's what mm-hmm. I think that, that's what David Fischel is trying to do. I mean, in 95 and 97, they won two All-Irelands. Possibly they should have won more. I mean, you could make the case they should have had four in a row. But up front, they were never quite as as, as good as they were at the back. And maybe that has hindered their, themselves. But I think what David's trying to do is trying to give a, a complete full uh, 15 that you know when you have the ball you're in attack and when you haven't got it you're in defence and you know it's worked quite well for him uh, to this point um, it will be interesting to see in the wide acres of, of, of Crow Park now how it works out whether Limerick are going to become very tactical and shut up shop for you know for the first half and see how Clare deal with that a little earlier on Wednesday Rob Heffernan claimed a sensational gold medal at the World Athletics Championships in Moscow soon after Red FM's Rory O'Hagan spoke to athletics journalist Phelan Kelly about the incredible achievement uh, well it just ranks up at the all time greats achieved the third uh, Irish world champion in history and it's 30 years ago to the day that Eamon Coughlin won our first world title at the inaugural championships in Helsinki with the famous 5000 metre win when he was pumping the the arms, and it's 30 years ago to the date of that, and it's 18 years ago since Sonia O'Sullivan's gold medal in Gothenburg in 1995. So these moments are rare, they're special, and I think it's even more special when you think he was crying uh, tears of sadness two years ago in Daegu. He couldn't he couldn't walk in the World Championships when his mother tragically died, and now today, two years on, the che- uh, tears of joy for becoming a world champion so it really is a special day for Robert Heffern and for obviously Irish athletics and I suppose as well for him to bounce back from the relative disappointment of missing out in the medal in the Olympics as well shows I suppose the strength of his character yeah well it was an, it was an amazing performance to finish fourth in the London Olympics um, with a 3.37 for 50 kilometres so I think if the, the general public 
put into context if they could even run they'd be happy enough running a, a marathon which is 42k <laughs> in 3 hours 37 and he's covered 50 kilometers in that distance so it's an incredible performance then just his meticulous preparation to come back from London he was going here for a medal and he got it and then obviously getting gold really crowned it all off the race today he was always in control wasn't he yeah he was saying that just he felt really good from the get-go every kilometer he had broken down at the, the start he said it was his feet then his hips then his arms and just talking himself all the way through and he said the the guy Rizov from Russia he said he was only a young guy and he was trying to push the pace and said who does this guy think he is I've, I've walked in London I've been fourth in the Olympics and he said well I'm going to give him the opportunity to take it on there and I'm going to wait till the 40 kilometer mark and then he went into the lead at 39 kilometers, and he said, well, this wasn't part of the plan, but it's happening. I'm feeling good. And I think he even said, for a moment, he said, at the 40-kilometer mark, cross his mind, I'm going to be the world champion. But then he, he quickly snapped back into gear. So he's obviously, in, in race walking, different to running, you can actually be disqualified. You've got uh, th- uh, three strikes in your outrule if you're lifting. So basically, if you're not locking your knee out, and then if, if the two legs appear to be off the ground, essentially in a running motion. And given the lead that he had heading into the stadium, his last lap was almost like a, a lap of honour while the race was still going on. Absolutely incredible scenes. You, you could just see the, the joy and almost the relief on his face at that point. Yeah, well, I was talking to Eamon Coughlin there around half an hour ago and he called it a, he described it as a life-changing moment. And he just said, you know, Robbie's gotten to experience his moment. He said it brought back memories to him that when he was pumping the arms, he said it wasn't the gesture of cockiness or arrogance, but of Thanksgiving and I think that he said you know that's what Robbie that Robert has gotten to experience now you know that that feeling of Thanksgiving and and them to really enjoy the moment in that last lap so I think I, I suppose it's just it's nearly tears well enough even nearly for me thinking about it because of all the hard work that he's done his, his family and to think uh, that uh, last year I remember re- I was just reading there in the Cork Independent that he he was going to have to get the bus home from Dublin after coming forth <laughs> in the Olympics. And one of the a faithful taxi driver uh, shot up and, 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 and picked him up. But I think if he's getting a bus to Cork uh, this year, it's going to be an open-top bus all the way down. What will Rob's victory do today for Irish athletics as a whole? Well, first off, it gets us back into the, into the national media and gets the attention. So... Uh, it'll probably be short-lived attention, really, unfortunately, and also it'll 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 gloss over what's not been a great championship for Ireland. But focusing on the positives, really, it it puts uh, athletics into mainstream media. We've been struggling to get into the mainstream media, and a performance like Rob, a character like Rob, like you said, it's a Rocky Four-style story. You know, he's gone into Russia, he's beaten the Russians, and they're like a a powerhouse of race walking and to do it in their own backyard like I mean it's an inspirational story and I think that's that's what Robert has done for the sport to really put us back on the map just like Sonia O'Sullivan mm-hmm. had carried the flag for so many years and, and that's what Robert has done and I think he's an inspiration inspiration to Cork and of course the, the rest of the country Now Rio is three years away I assume when all this dies down that's what his thoughts are going to turn to next he seems to be getting better physically as the time goes on is Rio uh, uh, I suppose out of the question for Rob in three years time? Oh, it's definitely not out of the question I'd say Robert Heffernan is thinking about winning the gold medal in Rio de Janeiro he was coached for a time by Robert Korzenowski 
who who won the Olympics at 38 years of age, and that and Robert is 35 at the moment, so he knows he can do it. He's only really fine-tuning preparation and really gotten to perfect his training. I mean, this guy is meticulous. He's covering 200 kilometers a week in training. Then he's always working with the Garmin, the heart rate monitor. He's got a lactate monitor monitoring his, his lactic acid production. You know, this guy is just meticulous in his preparation. And I'd say once he takes this all in, and of course, he's got a, they've got a welcome celebration. I know Marion is now four months pregnant. So they've, he said he's, got, he's going to be back to hard work first with regard to that. But um, yeah, I think he's going to be then planning on, uh, I suppose, cementing himself as a legend and going for an Olympic title. And I suppose it's uh, Ronnie Delaney, 1956, the last Irish person to win an Olympic gold medal in, in track and field. Uh, so I'd say that'll be firmly on his thoughts. It's uh, hard to believe, but it's back again. The Premier League returns on Saturday afternoon, a brand new season of uh, hope and expectation for 20 clubs. But realistically, how many will be challenging for the title? I'm delighted to welcome uh, Miguel Delaney back to the Irish Examiner's uh, podcast. Uh, Miguel, uh, is it just me or all this transfer saga seems that the, the last Premier League season was aeons ago uh, but it's uh, it's great to be in a situation where we're back talking about football uh, rather than the what ifs buts and maybes of uh, transfer speculation well that's exactly it I mean rather than going off agent briefings and then kind of you know, the slightest hint of word in some sort of public press conference from someone at the subject of a, of a transfer saga. It's good to actually get down to the nuts and bolts of it. I suppose the only thing is, though, that, that those sagas kind of, to a degree, condition what we're going to be talking about here as well. I mean, because the big one, I suppose, is the fact that we've never experienced a Premier League start like this where there's been so much change at the top. I mean, by the very dint of the fact that Alex Ferguson is gone, it's, we've never had the case where the top three teams are all change of manager. Uh, so that so that in itself is going to first of all it potentially creates a more open title race. Secondly, it might as well leave a bit more space for for those sides just behind, such as Spurs, Arsenal, Everton, Liverpool. Um, but at the same time, uh, while some clubs have done their business, so like the likes of City, City and Chelsea, even though they're both going to be just two managers, even if one of them famously has been there before, they've done their business early. They've worked with them. They look ready to kind of streak ahead. Whereas with United and Arsenal, it almost seems like their seasons are on hold until actually they do their transfer business. Mm. Now, in terms of Suarez and Bale, where where do you stand? Maybe I'm just a bit of a cynic in terms of this being a bit of like the hamster on the wheel type thing. You know, it's just, you know, all the papers are obviously feeding the stories and the agents are feeding the stories and it's making for great copy and it's filling back pages at a quiet time of the year. Sponsors are happy because their jerseys are are in the papers at a time of year that they usually wouldn't. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, where, where where do you stand on all of this at the moment? What 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 does Manchester United need? What does Arsenal need? What does Liverpool need as far as you're concerned? Well, I think United is pretty obvious. Enough. I mean, they, they briefed the press earlier in the summer, basically, or, or, or elements of the club briefed the press. And Moyes pretty much made it clear that he needs to update the midfield through, through their pursuit of Fabregas. They basically they indicated something has to change. So, and I, would, I mean, had word from someone at the club recently that they're still intent on three signings. I think two of them are obvious. It's Baines and Fellaini from Moyes' old club 
and then one all-round midfielder in the Fabregas mould. So you'd expect them to go in for Modric or to talk as well of Ozil. Um, now, the one thing is that they've, while United finally seem to have all the riches that perhaps people would have suggested that the, uh, the Glazers' ownership denied them in the past, they haven't yet been able to, to, to use it because well, not only have they lost Alex Ferguson, they've lost David Gill. So um, their, their transfer activity has been curious, to say the least. It's going to be interesting to see how they play out. If they don't make those signings, I mean, well, Pelini and Baines would improve the squad, you still just feel that they need the element of kind of sparkle or stardust just to change the tone of the place. Not because Moyes isn't or won't eventually prove a suitable replacement of Ferguson, but there is like a tone that it's still about replacing Alex Ferguson, whereas had United gone for Mourinho or a Guardiola, they're kind of stars in their own right to, to, to be, you know, to make the story about them, to change the narrative. Whereas now, I mean, I was at the Charity Shield on or the Community Shield on Sunday, and it, it just this was this element of staleness to United. So I think they do need some sort of spark to uh, to keep up with City and Chelsea. Uh, Arsenal, I think, um, I was at their Emirates Cup, and of course, if they have made no other signings other than Yannick Sanogo, a, a second division French player. And while, you know, the structure team is typical Wenger, they play some nice football, I think one of the key things... One of, one of the things that Suarez would have offered to them is he's such a kind of um, a maverick, well, in, in so many senses. But in terms of his playing, he just offers something different. He gives that kind of his dribbling is so unique. He just he just changed tone for Arsenal. And to be fair, for all his problems, he is of a quality that would maybe give them an, an outside chance of at least kind of staying in the title race long, longer than usual. Let alone just fighting for Champions League. Okay, I, I'll accept that. But equally, would he not be the absolute? Anti everything that Arsene Wenger stands for in football. Um, without without wishing to get into I suppose slander people like that. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal, obviously, of course, they they they, you know, they do have this great tradition. That, that is what the club stands for. But that does not mean that individual players haven't deviated. Players are humans. Players have problems. Um, now I suppose <laughs> there is a difference between some of the characters that Arsenal have had and and some of the, and some of those and some of those. Problems that Suarez has caused, and also, I mean, I was at Sky's launch last Friday, and we were talking to Alan Smith, and Smith did make the point that this pursuit of um, of of Suarez indicates that Vengo realised they do need this kind of nastiness. I mean, you know, <laughs> for for all, for all the perceptions of football, I mean, I guess it's it's a, it's a pretty cutting edge industry with some hard characters in there. And like even those that are to speak that since Fabregas left, they've lost other than Wilshire, they've lost a kind of element of just kind of grit and spikiness in the team. And Suarez, for all his other issues, does provide that. Yeah, but I suppose back back to my my point. One of the issues in terms of Wenger, and you know, and I mentioned anti everything he he looks for in football, and one of those is willingness to splash the cash. <laughs> so suddenly, of all the players in the world, who's willing to spend? Forty million and one on Suarez. Well, I, 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 it is now again. I suppose it comes back to another eternal issue with Arsenal: is this Wenger's choice, or is this, or is this Casidis's choice? And how long have they had this money? And or, or is it, just, and is it just the case of Casidis trying to finally make Wenger spend it, or is this really new departure? So there's a few, there's a few things here that are going to maybe reveal the future direction of Arsenal. Um. The one thing you could say is that for every single problem, Suarez is a game changer. And Arsenal, if they don't need a personality like his, they do need a player like that.
So if they, I suppose the other thing is, I mean, there's been, there's been a bit of a to and froing over the last 24 hours about whether Suarez has said he'll stay or whether he hasn't. Uh, if if they don't get him, the only other player they're known to be interested in is Rooney. So you'd wonder where they go from there. What do you make of the Rooney saga? Um, the, one of the undercurrents all summer was that uh, United might be willing to sell if they do their business. Now, I, that seems to have well, perhaps it, was, perhaps it was never the case. I mean, they, 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 they briefed, due to some of the stories in England yesterday, they evidently briefed a pretty stern message, and Moy said it himself on Sunday, he's just not for sale. I think United are a bit of a catch-22, Rudy. I, I think for, for all the problems he's had with Ferguson, even with Moyes in the past, I think there's almost a bit of a human element that he's been there so long, there's been so many issues that it just feels like he'll, he'll never be the same player he was, or never kind of rise to the level he could at United. So it doesn't necessarily serve United to keep in that sense. But if they sell him to Chelsea, to a manager like Mourinho, who has a track record of mm. getting the best out of players like that, it could it could feasibly relaunch Rooney's career. And backfire, and also, backfire spectacularly then on United. That, that's exactly it. And especially considering that he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem willing to move abroad. Um, and there's no other... Re- potential suitors it, it, it is actually quite a very tricky situation for them mm. it, 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 it is ironic isn't it then the last four or five weeks we haven't heard a peep from Manchester City we barely heard a word from Chelsea and as you said two new managers there well one old-ish manager mm. um, wh- wh- where do you see uh, Chelsea and Man City being in the in the shake-up I, I think that both I unless United sign I think they'll both be top two I have to say um, and I think Chelsea will probably win it. I mean, they've um, do, well, I, well, Pellegrini does have a, a decent record of immediately getting attackers to gel, which was a bit of an issue, I suppose, in, in the past with City. So I actually expect them to hit, to hit the ground running quite strongly. But um, there's just something about even like a finash. I was at Mourinho's comeback. While there is this question about whether it is possible, given the given the two personalities involved. Can the Brambish and Mourinho really have solved their problems that easily? There's just, just seemed to be a bit of Chelsea kind of crackling again. It's almost as if kind of everything's finally coming together over this what has really been a decade-long project. Mm. I give a, give a Mourinho himself seems happy in his job. I just I have a feeling at the least that they'll uh, they'll come together quite strongly. Okay. Finally, uh, in terms of Liverpool and Spurs, are, are they going to shake up the party in a bit? Um, I suppose it ultimately comes down to the two big sagas, um, but there is a difference here. Whereas Liverpool look could look in trouble if they sell Suarez because there's been no, no real mood to talk of potential replacements and they don't have much time. Spurs are in the market. They've made three better signings in Liverpool, I would say. Even Liverpool signings have been good, but they haven't necessarily solved issue, key issues in the squad. Or they haven't sorry, necessarily enhanced the squad. They, they have kind of filled in gaps. But Spurs have tried to kind of one problem with Spurs is as good as Bale was last season, they didn't really have any other angles of attack. We'd be supposed to try to rectify that. And if they do sell Bale, I actually think they are better equipped than Liverpool would be. Um, that's, of course, in the event of, of, of both going. But um, it's going to be interesting to see. And that's it from the Irish Examiner Sports Podcast. My thanks to all our guests on the programme, to Donal O'Grady, to Miguel Delaney, and to Phelan Kelly. We're back again, same time, same place next week. Hopefully we'll have your company once more for that. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 